Section 13 of Rough and Ready, or Life Among the New York Newsboys, by Horatio Alger, Jr. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tori Falder. Chapter 25. Rose is Restored to Her Brother. When Mr. Martin re-entered his boarding-house late in the afternoon, Mrs. Waters looked as if she expected her bill to be paid. "'I couldn't change my fifty dollars,' said Martin. "'But it's all right, Mrs. Waters. You shall have the money to-morrow.' Notwithstanding the confidence with which he spoke, Mrs. Waters felt rather troubled in mind. She doubted very much whether it was all right, and would have felt very much relieved if she could have seen the banknote which Martin talked about changing. However, there was no good excuse for questioning his statement, and she could only wait as patiently as she might. But she resolved that if the money were not forthcoming the next day, she would advise Mr. Martin to seek another boarding place, and that without delay. When breakfast was over the next morning, Martin said to Rose, "'Put on your bonnet. I want you to go out with me.' Rose looked at him in surprise. "'I'm going to get her some new clothes, ma'am,' he said to Mrs. Waters. "'She needs them, and it will give me a good chance to change my bill.' "'This might be so,' Mrs. Waters hoped it was. Rose, however, listened with amazement. Her stepfather had not bought her any clothes for years. Indeed, she could not remember when— and it was not long since he had taken away and sold those which her brother bought her. The idea struck her with alarm that perhaps he had the same intention now. "'Come, don't be all day,' said Martin roughly. "'Maybe I'll change my mind and not buy you any if you're so long getting ready.' It took little time for Rose to make necessary preparations. After leaving the house, Mr. Martin led the way to Third Avenue, where they got on board the horse-cars." It struck Mr. Martin that a good place for Rose to commence her new profession would be in front of Fulton Ferry, where crowds of people were passing and repassing continually. Rose did not venture to ask any questions till they reached their destination. Then, seeing the ferry, which she remembered, she asked hopefully, "'Are we going to New York?' "'No, we ain't. Don't you think of such a thing,' said Martin roughly. "'Are you going to buy me some clothes here? I don't see any stores.' "'You've got clothes enough. You've got better clothes than I have.' "'I thought,' said Rose, "'you told Mrs. Waters you were going to buy me some.' "'Maybe I'll buy you some, if you do just as I tell you. I've got something for you to do.' They had now left the cars and were crossing the street to the ferry. "'Now,' said Martin, "'I'll tell you what you must do. You must stand just there where people come out and hold out your hand and say—' "'Give me a few pennies for my poor, sick mother.' "'But,' said Rose in dismay, "'that will be begging.' "'Spose it is,' retorted her stepfather doggedly. "'Are you too proud to beg? "'Do you expect me to support you without you doing anything?' "'I'm willing to work,' said Rose, "'but I don't want to beg.' "'None of your impudence,' said Martin angrily. "'You must do just as I told you. "'Say.' "'Give me a few pennies for my poor sick mother.' These last words he brought out in a doleful whine, such as he thought might excite compassion. "'There, see if you can say it as I did.' "'I haven't got any sick mother,' pleaded Rose. "'What's the odds? Half of em ain't. "'Only you must say so, or they won't give you anything. "'Come, are you ready?' "'I don't want to beg,' said Rose desperately. "'I tell you what, little gal,' said Martin fiercely. "'If you don't do as I tell you, "'I'll give you the worst looking you ever had. "'Say what I told you.' "'Give me a few pennies for my poor sick mother,' "'repeated Rose unwillingly. 
"'You don't say it feelin' enough,' said Martin critically. "'Anybody would think you didn't care nothing for your poor sick mother. "'Say it so,' and he repeated the whine. Rose said it after him, and though her performance was not quite satisfactory to her stepfather, he decided that it would do. "'There, stand there,' he said, "'and begin. I'm going just across the street, and if you don't do it right, look out for a lickin.' Rose took her position, feeling very much ashamed, and almost ready to cry. She wished she could escape the necessity, but looking across the street she saw Martin furtively shaking his fist at her, and turned desperately to follow his directions. The boat was just in, and a throng of passengers was passing through the gate. "'Give me a few pennies for my poor sick mother,' said Rose to a good-natured-looking man who passed her. He looked at her anxious face, and something in it excited his pity. He took out ten cents and gave it to her. Rose took it, feeling very much ashamed, and turned to the next passer. "'Give me a few pennies for my poor sick mother,' she said." "'Out of the way there, you young beggar,' said he roughly. "'Such nuisances as you are ought to be sent to the island.' Rose drew back alarmed at this rough language, and for a moment kept silent, hardly daring to renew her appeal. But a look at James Martin's threatening face compelled her to continue, and again she made the appeal. This time it was a lady she addressed, mild and pleasant, who paused a moment and spoke gently. "'Is your mother quite sick, my dear?' she asked in a voice of compassion." "'Yes, ma'am,' answered Rose faintly, ashamed of the falsehood she was uttering. "'Have you any brothers and sisters?' "'One brother,' answered Rose, glad that here at least she could tell the truth. "'Here's something for you,' said the lady, placing twenty-five cents in the child's outstretched palm. All the passengers had now passed through the portal, and she had some respite. James Martin crossed the street, and coming up to her asked, "'How much did you get?' Rose opened her hand. Thirty-five cents in five minutes,' he said elated. "'Come, little gal, you're getting on finely. "'I shouldn't wonder if you'd take three or four dollars by two o'clock. "'We'll go home then.' "'But I don't like to beg,' said Rose. "'Don't let me hear none of that,' said Martin angrily. "'You're lazy, that's what's the matter. "'You've got to earn your living. "'There's no two ways about it, and this is the easiest way to do it. "'There ain't no work about begging.' Since Martin was mean enough to live on the money begged by a little girl, it isn't likely that he would understand the delicate scrupulousness which made Rose ashamed of soliciting charity. "'I'll take the money,' said her stepfather, "'and you can get some more when the next boat comes in. "'I'm going away a few minutes,' he proceeded, "'but you must stay here just where you are "'and keep on just as if I was here. "'I won't be gone long. "'If I find you haven't done nothing when I come back, "'look out for yourself.' James Martin had reflected that the thirty-five cents would be sufficient to get him a drink and a couple of cigars, and it was to obtain these that he went away. He found it rather dull work standing on the sidewalk and watching Rose, and he thought that by inspiring her with a little wholesome fear, she would go on just as well in his absence. Still, it might be as well to encourage her a little. "'If you're a good gal,' he proceeded in a changed tone, "'and get a lot of money, I'll buy you some candy when we go home.' This, however, did not cheer Rose much. She would much prefer to go without the candy, if she might be relieved from her present disagreeable employment. If Mr. Martin had been aware that among the passengers on the next boat were Rough and Ready and Ben Gibson, he would scarcely have felt so safe in leaving Rose behind. Such, however, was the case. While Rose was plunged in sorrowful thought, filled with shame at the thought of her employment, deliverance was near at hand. 
The boat came in, and she felt compelled to resume her appeal. "'Give me a few pennies for my poor sick mother,' she said, holding out her hand. "'Where is your poor sick mother?' asked the person addressed. "'She's dead,' said Rose, forgetting herself. "'That's what I thought,' he answered, laughing, and passed on, of course, without giving anything. Rather mortified at the mistake she had made, Rose turned to address the next passenger, when she uttered a joyful cry. "'Oh, Rufie!' she exclaimed, throwing her arms around him. "'Rose, is it you?' he exclaimed, surprised and delighted. "'How came you here? I came over to Brooklyn on purpose to find you, but I had no idea you were so near.' "'Mr. Martin sent me here to beg.' "'To beg?' repeated Rufus indignantly. "'And where is he now?' "'He's gone away,' said Rose, "'but he's coming right back.' "'Then he won't find you, that's all. "'Come, Ben. "'We'll go right back by the next boat "'and carry Rose with us. "'I didn't expect to be so lucky.' "'Won't Martin be mad?' said Ben. "'I'd like to see him when he finds your sister gone.' "'He shan't see her again very soon,' said Rufus. "'Not if I can help it. "'Come along, Rose.' "'He paid their fare by the boat "'and hurried Rose on board. "'It started in the course of two or three minutes "'on its return trip. On the way, he made Rose tell him how she had been treated, and was very angry when told of the persecutions to which she had been subjected. "'But it's all over now, Rosie,' he said, putting his arm caressingly round his little sister's neck. "'You're safe now, and nobody shall trouble you. Miss Manning will be rejoiced to see you again.' "'I shall be so glad to get home again, Rufie,' said Rose earnestly. "'Miss Manning's so much nicer than Mrs. Waters.' "'And am I as nice as Mr. Martin?' asked Rufus, laughing. Ten thousand million times,' said Rose emphatically. "'He isn't nice at all.' Meanwhile, we returned to Mr. Martin. When he got back, he looked in vain for Rose. "'Where's she gone?' he asked himself angrily. He looked about him on all sides, but no Rose was to be seen. It occurred to him that perhaps she might have taken some of the money obtained by begging and gone over to New York in the boat, in the hope of finding her brother.' If so, he would follow her. To make sure, he asked the fare-taker, Did you see a little girl begging just outside the gate a few minutes ago? Yes. She's gone away. Did you see where she went? She went over to New York in the boat about twenty minutes ago. Did she go alone? No, there were two boys went with her. Martin asked for a description of the boys and realized to his intense disappointment that his plans were foiled and that Rough and Ready had recovered his sister. He was provoked with himself for leaving her, and his vexation was the greater that he had not only lost Rose and the money she might have made for him, but also the sum which the newsboy stood ready to pay for the return of his sister. Confound the luck, he muttered. It's always against me. Chapter 26. Conclusion. Now, said Rufus, we'll surprise Miss Manning. She won't be expecting you. "'Do you think Mr. Martin will come after me, Rufie?' asked Rose anxiously. "'If he does, he won't get you. "'I shan't dare to go out in the street. "'You had better not go out alone. "'I'll tell Miss Manning about it. "'I think it will be best to move to some other street "'as long as Mr. Martin knows the old place.' "'Maybe he'd like to adopt me instead of Rose,' suggested Ben humorously. "'I'd make an interesting looking girl "'if I could only borrow a dress that would fit me.' You'd have to give up smoking, Ben. Girls don't smoke. I'm afraid that wouldn't agree with me, said Ben. I guess Mrs. Waters would find you a tough customer if she undertook to shut you up in the cellar. Yes, said Ben. She'd find me as tough as a ten-year-old turkey. At Printing House Square, Ben left the party and resumed his professional occupation. 
As he will not again be mentioned in this story, I will mention that an account of his subsequent career may be found in Mark the Matchboy, the third volume of this series. Miss Manning was sitting in her humble room sewing diligently. She was thinking sadly how cheerless and lonely it was since Rose had disappeared. She was not very sanguine about recovering her, since it was much easier to hide a little girl than to find her among such a wilderness of houses as the great city contains. But as she sat at her work, a sound of footsteps was heard upon the stairs, and directly afterwards the door flew open, and little Rose, rushing forward, threw her arms around her neck. "'Have you come back again, Rose?' exclaimed the seamstress joyfully. "'Yes, Miss Manning. I'm so glad to see you again.' And Rose kissed her again and again. "'How did you find her, Rufus?' asked Miss Manning, returning the embrace. The newsboy related the story briefly. Then Rose was called upon to give an account of all that had happened to her. "'What a wicked woman Mrs. Waters must be,' said the mild seamstress, with a display of indignation unusual for her. "'She ought to be ashamed of herself to shut you up in a dark cellar.' "'I was so afraid of the rats,' said Rose, shuddering. "'I was afraid they would eat me up.' "'You'd make a pretty large mouthful for a common-sized rat,' said Rufus, smiling. "'They might have bitten me, though,' said Rose.' "'Well, they shan't trouble you any more, little sister,' said Rufus. "'Mr. Martin will be a smart man if he gets hold of you again.' "'He might carry you off, Rufie,' said Rose, in momentary alarm. "'I'd like to see him do it,' said Rough and Ready, drawing up his youthful form. "'He'd wish he'd hadn't, that's all,' he added with a laugh. "'I think, Miss Manning,' he proceeded, "'we'd better move so as to put Martin off the track.' As long as Rose lives here, he'll be prowling round, and some time he might get a hold of her again. I am perfectly willing, said the seamstress. My week's up tomorrow, and I can move at once. Suppose we go out and find a place this afternoon. All right, said Rufus, but I've got to leave you now. I have a business engagement down in Wall Street. Among the bulls and bears, said Miss Manning, smiling. Are there bulls and bears in Wall Street? said Rose, alarmed. Oh, don't go down there, Rufie. You'll get killed. They won't hurt me, Rose. I haven't got money enough, said the newsboy, smiling. Don't be afraid. I'll come back early in the afternoon. The newsboy took the nearest route to Wall Street. It is a short street, but an immense volume of business is transacted there every day. It is lined with banks and business offices, especially those of brokers, lawyers, insurance companies, and moneyed institutions. There were plenty of bulls and bears upon the street, but they looked very much alike, and Rufus could not tell them apart. As these terms may seem mysterious to some of my young readers, it may be as well to say that bulls are those who are striving to carry up the price of stocks, and bears are those who are making an effort to depress them. Our hero was not long in finding the office of Mr. Turner. He had to go up a short flight of steps at the head of which a door opened into a hall or entryway. On one side of this was the office of Mr. Turner. Opening the office door, he found himself in a large room fitted up with a counter, behind which were two or three young men, who were no doubt clerks. "'Is Mr. Turner in?' asked the newsboy, going up to the counter. "'Not just now. He's at the board,' meaning the stock board, where stocks are bought and sold. "'Can I do your business?' "'No. Mr. Turner asked me to call.' "'You can wait for him if you like.' Rough and Ready sat down in an armchair, and took up the morning paper. He had been thus engaged about twenty minutes when he heard the door open, and looking up saw Mr. Turner. "'Good morning, Mr. Turner,' said our hero, laying aside the paper and rising. "'Oh, good morning, Rufus. I'm glad to see you. Wait a few minutes and I will be at leisure.' 
He went behind the counter and gave a few quick business directions to his clerks. James, go to the park bank and get these shares transferred to John Wade, he said to the youngest clerk, who thereupon seized his hat and left the office. It was not long before Mr. Turner was disengaged. Coming out from behind the counter, he drew up an armchair and sat down opposite Rufus. So, you are a newsboy, he said. Yes, sir. But you don't want to be a newsboy always? No, sir, said Rufus promptly. Only there isn't much chance for me to get anything better to do. How much do you earn by selling papers? About eight dollars a week. And out of that, you support your sister and yourself? Yes, sir. I suppose you have not been able to lay up any money. Yes, sir. How much? Three hundred dollars. Three hundred dollars, repeated Mr. Turner in surprise. Surely you could not save up so much as that. No, sir. I found it. Tell me about it. Our hero told of his adventure in the bar room. So, you have not spent any of this money? No, sir. I put it in the savings bank. That is well, said the broker approvingly. It shows that you have more good sense than most boys of your class. Now, I have a proposition to make you. How should you like to enter this office? I should like it very much, sir. Better than being a newsboy? Yes, sir. There ain't any chance to rise in the paper business. And here, if you do your duty, there will be a chance to rise. Yes, sir. That's what I mean. Very well. I will tell you what I will do. You did me a signal service last night. You saved me from losing a large sum of money, and, what is worse, from serious personal injury. I want to do something for you in return. I think you are a smart boy, and what is better, an honest and trustworthy boy. It so happens that my youngest clerk is in poor health and is about to leave my employment. I will give you his place. Thank you, sir, said Rufus. As to salary, I shall for the present give you the same you have been earning by selling papers, that is, eight dollars a week. It is nearly double what I have been accustomed to pay, but that is of no consequence. Besides this, I will give you $200 to add to your fund in the savings bank, increasing it to 500 You are very, very kind, said Rufus. I owe you some kindness, said Mr. Turner. There are other ways in which I shall find an opportunity to serve you, but of that we will speak hereafter. When do you want to come? Whenever you think best, sir. Then let it be next Monday morning at nine o'clock. James will remain a week or two till you get a little familiar with your duties. And now, my young friend, this is all the time I can spare you this morning. Goodbye till Monday. Mr. Turner shook hands with Rufus, and the latter left the office with the strange feeling which we always have when a great change is going to take place in our course of life. He was about to bid farewell to the life of a newsboy and enter upon a business career in Wall Street. He could not help feeling a thrill of new importance as he thought of this, and his ambition was roused. Why should he not rise to a position of importance like the men whom he had heard of and seen, whose beginnings had been as humble as his own? He determined to try at all events. He returned to Miss Manning to acquaint her and Rose with his good fortune. The seamstress seemed quite impressed with the news. Who knows what may come of it, Rufus, she said. Some day you may be a rich man, perhaps president of a bank. "'Which shall I be, Rose, a bull or a bear?' inquired Rufus playfully. "'You can't be a bull,' said Rose positively, "'for you haven't got any horns.' "'Then I suppose I must be a bear,' said the newsboy, laughing. So Rufus ceased to be a newsboy, and here appropriately closes the story of Rough and Ready or Life Among the New York Newsboys. 
But a new career dawns upon our hero, brighter than the past, but not without its trials and difficulties. Those who are interested to hear of his new life and are curious to learn what became of Mr. Martin will find the account given in a subsequent volume for next Christmas to be called A Rufus and Rose, or The Adventures of Rough and Ready. Before writing this, however, I propose to publish, as the next volume of this series, the experiences of one of the newsboy's friends under the title of Ben the Luggage Boy or Among the Wharves. End of section 13. Recording by Tori Falder. End of Rough and Ready or Life Among the New York Newsboys by Horatio Alger, Jr.